Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to Go. We are the Satellite Sisters. Welcome to the show. It is Sunday, September 28th. I'm Liz Dolan. I am here in Santa Monica, California, joined on the line with my two non-Southern California sisters uh, from Portland, Oregon, Monica Dolan. How are you, Monica? Good morning. Good morning, ladies. I'm great. (laughs) Good, good. And Julie Dolan from Dallas, Texas. What's going on there? Uh, not a whole lot, Liz. It's still summertime here, but I'm happy to add to the geographic distribution of the show. Okay. Well, I do want to explain that later today, as we record this on Sunday morning, then I will finish the show. I will edit the show. Then we are rendezvousing. I am rendezvousing with Sheila and Leon and various other family members down at the beach for lunch at one o'clock to celebrate my belated birthday and Sheila's upcoming birthday. Sheila's birthday is this week. And so you guys have the whole show to figure out like in the like 17 minutes I have between finishing the editing of the show and showing up down at the beach lunch. What can I get Sheila for her birthday? (laughs) Like what could, you know, you know, what's available in my neighborhood. All right. Okay, Liz. Yesterday, I actually considered buying her a Trader Joe's gift card because I was at Trader Joe's. And then I just thought I could probably do better than that. But maybe not. Maybe not. You know she loves gift cards, Liz. I know she does. You can't go wrong with those. She goes a long way on her gift cards. Right, right. And she likes, you know, takeaway food. And it seems like TJ's is good for that. Anyway, think of that. We can come back to it at the end of the show. We have a, a very full show. Of course, we're starting with notes from Nana. Julie has advice for... Uh, Hillary and Bill Clinton on how to be grandparents because she's an expert on that. Monica, you've been traveling around the state of Oregon, so we're going to hear about a few of your house calls. And we have other travel stories, including Julie's getting to the bottom of air rage. I want to discuss a story in uh, the New York Times the other day that was a conversation between Ariana Huffington and Kobe Bryant about what makes them successful. And I think it's interesting because we at Satellite Sisters, you may think of us as just sisters sitting around talking to each other, but we also talk to Ariana Huffington and Kobe Bryant. So, you know, (laughs) we have a little bit of a back-channel communication on this one. So we'll talk about that. Monica has, is it the most mispronounced food words, Monica? It's frequently mispronounced food words. Okay. I'm going to straighten you out on some of these words. All right. I have an issue with Pepperidge Farm that I would like to raise. Oh. Uh, yeah, just, you know, you know how much we love Pepperidge Farm, but sometimes it's, they just go too far. Uh, Julie has some college application uh, trends. And, of course, we have to bring it on home with uh, Derek Jeter's finale at Yankee Stadium the other night. Really made you think. But, okay, that's our whole lineup. But then unofficially, do we really want to talk about the Clooney wedding? Any comments on that? Yes. Could, it, could it have been more impossibly beautiful? No. Are, are those two, like, the most gorgeous people ever, ever on their little ever. boats and with the sunglasses and that Italian sun in their faces? I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm waiting for the wedding, wedding pictures, but... I have just been mesmerized by the George leading the teak boat in the Vaporetto down the Grand Canal. I heard they closed the Grand Canal down in Venice. <laughs> sure, why not? It's a wedding procession in the boats. That was, it was crazy beautiful. It, it was so beautiful. And they're both individually so beautiful, collectively beautiful. Venice is so beautiful. Their friends, of course, are beautiful. You you can't have any problem with this. You know, you like you want to hate this kind of uh, you know, display, but when it's pulled off this perfectly, I have no problem. 
I yeah, just I, think I was, wish them all the best. Me too. I thought it was very pleasurable. We've had nothing but bad news in the news. Why not? You know, this was real movie star glamour. Thank you very much. It was great. <laughs> I was reading at TMZ, though, that they had oh, a... Oh, Julie Dolan at TMZ. TMZ. I like TMZ. it. I'm all over it now. You know, <laughs> the first they had very tight security for the, uh, for the big Clooney wedding. And apparently they were, all the guests were instructed to leave their cell phones in their hotel room. Okay, that's no big surprise. Or if they took their cell phones on their little boats. There was a cell phone kiosk right outside the wedding um, before they went in. And then each guest at the wedding was issued their own burner phone <laughs> with, a, with a code. Okay. And that was kind of like the double check that you are the person you are because the phone would only work if you had the right code. Okay, everyone got that. And as well, each person was issued some kind of camera. So you were allowed to take pictures. But here's the catch. All the cameras were coded so that let's say Amal's, I don't know, you know, uncle got a little crazy and thought he might want to release some pictures of the wedding party ahead of time. Um, George Clooney would know exactly who released the pictures. Wow. So, I'm telling I, you. I just like the idea of celebrity burners. That, you know, <laughs> everybody needs a back channel. And yeah. uh, if they have their own, I, I support that. I like it. Wow, that's a lot of detail to have to go through. I know, but I think it will be a trend in future weddings. People will be issued burner phones at the weddings, right? How great. How great is that, right? I just want a regular phone. <laughs> I just want them to live happily ever after, really. I, I, you I know, do. good I, for you, George and Amal. I, you know, they, they just seem like they're going to have a good life together. Yay for them. Well, good for them. Okay, well, the other wonderful story, the other good news story of the week is, of course, the arrival of Charlotte Clinton. I don't even know. Mazinski, is that his last name? This is Bill and Hillary Clinton's granddaughter um, who has arrived, and she's great. And I was just reflecting on Bill and Hillary as grandparents because, as you sisters know, I'm a grandmother. I relish in my role as, as Nana. And I just have some notes that I mm-hmm. want to pass on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, first of all, I think you can all, we could a- agree that Bill Clinton is going to be an excellent grandfather. Don't you think? Yeah. I, think I think he's just going to do an out, be an outstanding <laughs> grandpa. I don't know. He's a real natural. I think he's really going to relish in the relationship with his granddaughter, and I think it's going to be fun, fun, fun for little Charlotte. I think she is going to have a great time with Grandpa Bill. Mm-hmm. That seems likely. Do we know that he's going to be called Grandpa Bill? Have no, they said I what just, they're going to be? Okay. All right. No, have not heard yet, but I think Grandpa is good. What would you call uh, Bill Clinton? You can't. I don't, I don't know. know. Grandpa in chief. I don't know. I really. Grandpa that's... Gramps. No, Gramps. No, I think Grandpa Bill. I think that that's what's what I'm. That's what. Uh, that's my bet. Okay. Now Hillary. Okay. Here I have this. She has an incredibly important role. She is is the grandmother. She's also the mother of Chelsea. So first of all, Hillary, um, I'm sure I saw the picture. You look like you're enjoying it. That's super good. Okay. When you go over to uh, Chelsea's apartment, okay, you just cannot show up with that whole entourage that she usually travels with. You know, the Secret Service. She's got mm-hmm. staffers. Every they've all got cell phones, they got Wi-Fi connections, you know, that is way too much commotion for the new mom and the baby, yeah. and, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so, so she has got to find a way to somehow to ditch the Secret Service or they have got to stay outside. She's also, talk about burner phones, she's got to check all of her phones, okay? Yes, yes. Her attention has got to be 100% on her new granddaughter and on her on her daughter because you know i mean now we know we can count on hillary clinton you know to, uh, she's very forceful she's awake for those 3 a.m phone calls you know <laughs> but do you think she's gonna i don't i i just i don't know if she's gonna get up with the baby i'm not sure i kind of have this sense that there may be day and night nurses going on with chelsea but mm-hmm. i'm not sure i'm mm-hmm. not sure, but well you were recently with your new granddaughter did you get up with the baby yes i got up with the baby Yes. Oh, you did? Oh, I thought you were staying at a hotel. No, 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 no. Oh, oh, okay. All right. No, no, you have got to help this. You've got to help 
and support. The other big thing, and I think this is going to be a difficult role for Hillary, um, is um, is you have to really zip it. You have to just keep your opinions to yourself. You know, right. uh, you have to just, Hillary, here's what I want you to say. I just want you to repeat this. I know you'll make the right decision. This is what you've got to tell your you've got to tell your children. No matter what it is, no matter what their parenting style, you, you just have to say, I know you'll make the right decision. And you have to just be super supportive. That's really key, particularly in these early weeks when everyone's so tired and exhausted yeah. and yeah. sensitive and it's and it's just so much. I mean it's such a it's such a huge thing, you know, that you know, you have this new baby and you know you've gone through all these changes you've gone through labor and you know and delivery it's it's a lot it's a lot well i think it's going to be just as hard for bill to zip it as hillary because he's a talker i know know he's a talker but we know even from having him on satellite sisters you can't shut that guy up no i know i know but is he grandpa bill no one's going to listen to him so he's going to sit in the corner He's going to have little Charlotte on his lap, and he's going to be yakking away, and that's going to be fine. It's going to be like, you know, it's going to be like white noise. It's going to be like one of those machines or something. You know, he's going to be, he's going to be great. He's going to like just tell her tales, walk yeah. around. I think it's going to be very easy for him to assume the role as grandpa. I think for Hillary, because she she possibly has some other things on the pl- on her plate this coming year, um, and it, she may feel very torn in terms of what kind of role she wants to forge uh, with uh, with Charlotte. But I, I want to tell you, um, Hillary, I, I just and I think all grandmothers will, would say this: that you are just you do not want to miss the fun of being a grandmother. I don't know what else you want to do with your life, but <laughs> Make sure, make sure you, you carve out some time to enjoy being being a grandmother. So, um, Julie, so so you're saying for yourself, like you were just with your new granddaughter last week in Brooklyn. But if if you had to choose between being with your new granddaughter Josephine and say running for president, <laughs> there's no question, Liz. There's no question because okay. they're all, all right. stage once. Okay. Okay, I, I understand she has some choices in front of her. Okay. She does. She has some she career is, alternatives. She does. She has some choices, but she she is not, you know, she's not going to regret spending time with Charlotte. So if she can just keep, you know, keep the commotion down, keep the phones out, keep focused on, you know, the little family and the new baby, uh, change a couple of diapers, uh, Hillary. I think that would be good. I think, uh, I think that is, it is a very... Um, it is a very basic thing. It's a very caring thing, and uh, it's what regular folk do, right? Well, they so, were obviously very hands-on raising Chelsea, so yes, it's not yes. like she ever outsourced that before with no, her no, own no, daughter. No. So. I, I, I totally agree with that, Liz. No, I know that, and and I think that you know they have you know cherished Chelsea, and and I am sure Charlotte, uh, as their new granddaughter, will have a very special um, um, place in their hearts. So I know I wish them well. I really do. I think, um, but. Uh, Grandpa Bill, you just wait. He's going to be he's going to be uh, an awesome grandfather. I was thinking about the name Charlotte because it's a very fine name. I think almost it's almost as good as Joseph. Well, I actually thought like okay, so your son and daughter-in-law named their little girl Josephine, but I wouldn't be surprised if Charlotte was in their consideration set because if you like Josephine, chances are you also like Charlotte. Yeah, you know, Liz, there's actually an app for that kind of stuff now. There's oh, some really? name app that, yes, of course, if you like a certain category of names, it gives you other alternative names. So, uh, yes, I'm okay. sure that's probably true. Uh, Charlotte is a beautiful name. I like that name. Yep. Okay. Well, good luck, Bill and Hillary. Uh, call in whenever you want if you want to tell us how it's going. <laughs> so, Monica, you were out and about this week. I was. I had a busy week. It was really, really fun. I got to take a road trip to southern Oregon uh, because I got to make two house calls to study patients that are in my study in Portland, but they couldn't return to Portland because they live four or five hours away. So I turned it into this whole sort of loop of southern Oregon. Nice. <laughs> so Saw a lot of the state I've never seen before. So my first stop was I went to Bandon, which is on the coast in southern Oregon. Absolutely gorgeous beach. There's big rock formations there and stacks, haystack rocks and 
big, wide, beautiful beach. Um, but I got to go by the Umpqua River, which I've never seen, and then return by the Coquille River. I saw elk and deer and seals. It was just very, very delightful. And uh, it was really fun going to the patients' house, homes, you know, and seeing them because the last time I saw them was in the hospital. And now they're better. They're in their own houses. They're just really doing well. Um so it was a lot of fun, and the best thing about it, well, one of the best things was, well, first of all, I didn't have to go to work for two days. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just lay it on the line. I did not have to go into the office for two days. So I rented a car uh, because work paid for the mileage, and I had a wonderful little GPS system, Liz. That's oh, awesome. so, so you that's haven't, haven't bought the deal. phone yet, but you had that. That sealed the deal for me about getting the smartphone because I am telling you, I had to go like over the river, through the woods to find these two houses. And I never, ever would have found them with my stupid little printed directions for MapQuest. But instead, I had this woman talking to me, Mm -hmm. telling me the left turn was coming up. So my plan is as soon as I get my next paycheck, I'm getting the iPhone because I need someone to talk to me. To tell me directions. So, Monica, you are leapfrogging ahead with technology. You are going from, like, a dial phone to um, (laughs) iPhone 6? Wow. I'm not going to get the iPhone 6 because I heard it bends in half. Um, uh, I'm just going to get an iPhone 5. Um, But now I know I need the talking directions because I would have been very, very lost in like the woods of Southern Oregon, if I didn't have that woman talking to me. So that was really fun. It was just great. You know, it was just great. I love a little trip to the coast, had some fish and chips and, you know, walked along the ocean. It was lovely. But every night I've been watching, have you guys been watching the Roosevelt's? No, I, I have not. Been, I've missed the whole thing. Oh, Liz. Recommend oh. it on our Facebook group. I know that. I know. It's, it's, so this is the Ken Burns documentary. It's called The Roosevelt's and Intimate History. And it's about um, Theodore uh, Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt. It is unbelievably good if you're interested in U.S. history. And it's seven episodes I think each episode is about two hours, so it's quite a commitment, but I just did a little bit every night for two weeks, and I have the last hour left tonight, and it's narrated by Peter Coyote, and for some reason, even though a lot of it, it's all about World War One, World War Two, um, there's a lot of wars, but there's something about Peter Coyote's narration that I find extremely soothing. And (laughs) I find it's just a perfect thing to do before I go to bed at night. And I feel like I've slept really well this week because I've been watching this documentary every night. And so I have one hour left tonight. Hope to get that in for a good night's sleep. But I'll tell you, those Roosevelt's, they had some nice houses. <laughs> Holy cow. Really? Besides the White House, obviously. Besides the White House. I mean, they that group, I mean, Hyde Park, Springwood, they had this amazing house called Campobello that, in Canada that I would love to visit someday. And then Eleanor had her own cottage, stone cottage at Valkill. So they just of their houses to recuperate, regenerate, you know, be with their family. Um, Anyways, it's just a really wonderful documentary. I highly recommend watching it. Okay, well, I'm sure the PBS will repeat it a thousand times, and that will also be available somewhere else to just download. So yeah, it's, it's, it's on my list. Yeah, and it's on. You, you can watch it on the PBS website mm-hmm. because that's what I did when I was at the beach. Um, so just on my little laptop. Very, very good. Highly recommend. So, Monica, how are you going to get to sleep when this is all? So I don't. It's all done. Maybe you can watch other Ken Burns documentaries. <laughs> Yeah, that well, Civil yeah. War one was really long. That could keep That'll you- really make you fall asleep. <laughs> well, later on when I talk about the Ariana and Kobe story, they have advice about how to fall asleep. So, oh, excellent. We'll, we'll see how the pros do it. 
All right. Hey, sisters, I have a story that caught my eye, and I thought of both of you because you're single working gals. And this is a new service that is being offered by the German Airlines Lufthansa. Now, currently, it's only available in Germany, but I think you can imagine that this might catch on in the U.S. I wanted to get your take on it. What they are doing now is they have set up a service for home delivery of their business class meals. That's right. You can order up airplane food Liz, for you. Liz, for- this is a dream come true for you. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. This is my worst nightmare. Yeah, because then you would feel like you never got off the then plane. Then you're always on a plane. Even <laughs> even this summer when I was kind of redecorating my living room and thinking about, well, I need a table here, or if I'm on the couch, I want to pull up a table here. I kept saying to myself, no, then it's going to feel like I'm in an airplane seat. I, just, <laughs> I, I don't want to have any feeling of airplanes when I'm at home. Julie, why on earth would anyone want this? Well, because it's pretty good food, okay? Well, it's chef-prepared. It's portion-controlled. You know, the, the you don't get giant portions. Um, and, it, you know, it's it's high-quality food. So uh, I just I, don't think airlines should be getting in the food delivery service. Well, they've got planes and they've got food, Monica. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's pretty crazy. But, you know, and Lufthansa in particular, they provide the food service for lots of other airlines, too. That's one of their big businesses um, out of Frankfurt. Um, so, but I can see... I don't know. If you live in a place where the best food delivery you can get is from Lufthansa, then I worry for you. I mean, really. <laughs> just like, how about Trader Joe's? I know they don't deliver, but they have just prepackaged food that Sheila enjoys. So, Does the flight attendant come to your door? <laughs> that would be nice, Monica. That there would be nice. With the beverage cart. That's what you need. You need the beverage cart rolling up your front walk. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, maybe this won't catch on in uh, in your neighborhoods, but just be on the lookout for okay. it. Okay. Okay. And it's business class. It's not coach class. So yeah. it is. It's, it's supposed to be a little better. But, you know, I know, Liz, you've been on way too many planes. And, Monica, when you travel, you know, it's always it's always a rough road. So they, I was interested in this article that they had in the New York Times about was analyzing air rage. I mean, we all know that we have it, but now social scientists are really trying to deconstruct what are the elements that why are planes so antisocial? Like, what happens exactly on that? Because this year alone, there's been a real increase in the number of diverted flights due to passenger misbehavior. And you know, it's, it's the obvious things. It's the packed planes, it's the congested gates, there's the stress and fatigue of travel but what people get drunk yeah oh yeah yeah that that adds to it as well but really what happens uh, they were this, uh, social scientists are saying in particular that the cramming of people into those skinny seats it's people can no longer function appropriately when they're like boxed in like that. It leads to this sense of alienation, of cynicism, of, you know, anonymity, you know, things that you would never do in any other context. Uh, there's a real breakdown of social inhibitions, you know, whether it's, you know, jamming your, your seat back or, you know, throwing or cramming your, your luggage into the overhead, all kinds of things um, that, you know, we wouldn't, nobody would do in other circumstances. And they've done like social uh, experiments with rats and they've put them in very crowded um, places. And they've noticed that when they do this, the rats show, you know, sort of a pathological withdrawal. I find that the most helpful response on an airplane. Just <laughs> pathological to... withdrawal? Yeah. Yeah. Or sometimes it creates a frenetic overactivity as well. I mean, I'm sure you've sat next to to people like that. But it's that they really, scientists are saying you lose this, your self-awareness. I don't know, have you both felt that on planes where you don't feel like yourself? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, Well, I feel, it's not so much I don't feel like myself, but you do actively try to be oblivious to everything happening around you. It's like you turn off all of your normal sensors. 
and uh, just to try to like live in your own head because your physical space is so small. And I feel like like all the new laws, especially in California, we've had to vote on a new laws about humane um, animal raising or what is allowed and not allowed on a factory farm. And so you, you see these laws like, okay, whether it's the, the lambs or the chickens or the cows, if you have them in a stall, they need to be able to stand up turn around and sit down again. And I think that should be a law for, <laughs> for airplane seats, too. If you don't have as much uh, room as a chicken in a coop has, uh, <laughs> then, yeah, you're going to start to go crazy. Yeah, that's, I mean, Liz, well said, well said. You know, but they don't really have many solutions to it. I mean, you know, they do feel like the onus really should be on the airlines. One airline was trying, they tried a sort of a test where they asked the airline attendants to ask the passengers as they, you know, sat down on the plane, asked how many of them are going home to raise their hands, how many are going home, or how many are first-time flyers. And they said by asking these two sort of simple questions and getting people to respond, it, create, it created more of a, like a community. on Human the, bond. A mm -hmm. human bond to, uh, to help people cope. Uh, but Liz, I think what you've said is well put, that we are, it's, it's worse than farm animals, right? <laughs> for, luckily, it's for a shorter period of time, most of the time. But, yes. you know, yes. uh, Monica, is that your experience too? Just a sort of oh, disassociation? I, yes, zone out. I mean, especially when the seat in front of you is, the seat back is like six inches from your face. You just have to go into your head and just think, think Zen thoughts and, you know, it's only for a short amount of time. I mean, can't everyone just get along? It's really, you know, what's a religion on flights that are like 10 hours, but usually it's like a three or five hour flight. So I find it best just to stare straight ahead and <laughs> not engage anyone and just think about getting to my destination. But it's also the cumulative effect of the airports are so much worse than they used to be. That part is extremely stressful. Yeah. Getting there on time, getting through the TSA lines, it's extremely stressful. I agree. It right. didn't used to be that way. Even the boarding process, all of this adds to this dehumanization. Yeah, yeah that's what yeah. they're saying. So, so that's it. You really, um, it's, you know, what you're experiencing <laughs> is really real. And the fact that you're feeling antisocial things on planes is documented and validated by some of, the, some of the research that's going on. I also think there's something about the air. I notice when I'm watching a movie on a plane, I cry a lot more. Do you, have you ever noticed that? That is absolutely Yeah, true. it's true, right? And, you, and why? You think no, it's not enough oxygen? People have, have come, have, commented about that we talked about it at work i cry so easily on a plane yeah thinking about things if i'm watching a movie that's sad listening to music that's beautiful yeah. sad yes i and it's embarrassing you know because you're crammed in there and your tears are streaming down your face but i i that happens to me on planes mm -hmm. but what it yeah. is there's something about the air or the altitude or the pressurization. They should, I'm sure they're factoring that into their study too, Jewel. I'm sure. I'm sure. All right. Well, on the other end of the travel spectrum, how about staying at home and just having a good time? That's what I believe in. And, you know, there's that frugal traveler column in the New York Times. Yes. And Monica, is it my imagination or does that Seth guy <laughs> who writes it write about Portland a lot? <laughs> well, obviously, his friends here. You know, the New York Times just has a whole thing with Portland. Yeah, there's a story almost every every couple of weeks about Portland. Yes, you know, the last last couple of weeks, it was like, is it really where young people go to retire? You know, is it really just uh -huh. paradise? And um, there was a lot of comments on that. But he, I think, he has friends in Portland, so he does end up in Portland a lot. <laughs> Which is fine with me. Yeah, yeah. So in The Frugal Traveler this week, he talks about, you know, really low-cost travel around the Pacific Northwest. Portland is one of the cities. Uh, Vancouver was another city. So the uh, I wanted to ask you about some of these places he recommends because I'm always trying to figure out, like, how much of a hipster is he? Like, I know these are the places that he likes, 
But would we ever go there, Monica? You know, are these places that you would try out? I'm guessing you've never stayed at the friendly bike guest house. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever put any friends up at the friendly bike guest house on North Williams where it's 40 bucks a night to stay there? It's a good price. No, it sounds friendly. It's a good neighborhood, though. Yeah. There's, there's a lot happening on North Williams. But, you know, I don't even do Airbnb. I don't believe in Airbnb. So I know other people do. But, um, no, I've never stayed at the friendly bike house. Okay. But oh. that's a pretty hip neighborhood. Yes, that's what he says, is that the that whole North Williams area has is becoming a punchline of gentrification because mm-hmm. of all the kinds of things that are going in there. So let's see. So he's recommended this place, a bar called Hop Heaven, where they have 60 microbrews, Oregon microbrews in stock. Have you ever, I know you're not much of a beer drinker, but have you ever checked that out? I've never been to Hop Heaven. I've been to another brew pub. I've been to two brew pubs right there on North Williams, so. Hopworks and Fifth Quadrant. So I guess I, I don't know about that other group up. But. Okay, now this place sounded good. Brunch at Pine State Biscuits. Oh, Pine State Biscuits. That is a must. Really? Is a must. You get biscuits. Mm, and then I'm in. Fr- I'm in. Fried chicken and then gravy and then like bacon. And that's in a biscuit sandwich. Pine State Biscuits is an excellent place. But again, like most places in Portland that are great, where the food is great and they're popular, the line's out the door. And I know he talked about Tasty and Sons. Yes. My favorite restaurants in Portland. But line's out the door. So you just Mm -hmm. have to be prepared for that. Mm -hmm. There is a whole Portlandia episode about brunch lines, I'm sure. (laughs) <laughs> if you haven't seen that one, it's a classic. Uh, yeah, he does note in this story that the line snakes around the corner. Uh, but uh, as you're standing in line, you get to watch them making the buttery treats and then smothering them in shiitake gravy. Mm. And for 13 bucks, which seems like that's uh, a, that's that a seems price. like a deal. And then what else do we have here? There was a lot of, oh, food trucks, of course. Are you a food truck Taster, Monica? Um, I, I go to food trucks every once in a while, but there aren't any up where I work. They oh. think sort of, because I work up on a hill, they've sort of outlawed, believe me, every day we dream about having a couple of food trucks up there. But of course it would compete with the hospital cafeteria, so they won't <laughs> allow that. But yeah, I go to some food trucks. I have a couple that I like, but you know, I'm not, uh, I don't go to a food truck every day for lunch, which a lot of people in Portland do. Okay. Well, he sounded like he had a fantastic time in Portland, which he obviously loves anyway. He celebrated by buying a Pendleton wool plaid shirt, which, um, you know, you can see there are a lot of uh, vintage clothing stores around town, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of wool. (laughs) Wet wool, I think. There's a lot of wool. In a few weeks, there's going to be a lot of wet wool. (laughs) Yep. As we always said, living in Portland on Halloween, that curtain comes down. All those poor kids with their cute Halloween costumes with their big raincoats over them. That's that's how you celebrate. That's a good time in Portland, Oregon. Um, Okay, so I wanted to mention... Uh, this story in the uh, Time Style section the other day, the title of which is, For Ariana Huffington and Kobe Bryant, First Success, Then Sleep, which was kind of an interesting headline, I thought. Anyway, the basic idea is that these two know each other, and they got together for lunch with a New York Times reporter just to talk about, like, how much they have in common, which, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think, right? Not those two, right? Not, not those two. So they're, the first thing that got, caught my eye here is that they are eating at the Antonello Restaurant in Santa Ana, California. Huh. What's that? Santa Ana. I was Anna. really surprised that Ariana Huffington has ever been to Santa Ana. That, explain where Santa Ana is, Liz. Well, Santa uh, Ana is Orange County, which mm-hmm. is where Kobe Bryant lives. So yeah. obviously... He had the power in this scenario to bring her uh, south, but it's sort of south and a little bit 
East, correct? I, you know, I'll admit, it's, I've never, it's real I, industrial city. I've never been to Santa Ana. I, of course you haven't, Liz, because you live in Santa Monica. <laughs> yes. Okay? I knew yes. you hadn't been there. So it, it's a very unusual spot. It is not, you know, it is not a glamour, it, it is not a glamour spot in Los Angeles. It's yeah. a very sort of industrial city. Um, it is not a place where you'd expect to find either Kobe Bryant or Ariana Huffington. Yes. So, so the they're there because maybe the food is good at this restaurant. Who knows? Well, as they walk in, the reporter notes that Kobe Bryant is speaking fluent Italian to the waiters, Julie, Ooh. because the reporter did not know what anyone who knows Kobe Bryant does know is that he basically grew up in Italy. Yeah, he and, grew up in Italy. Yes, and he does he does speak Italian. So maybe that's another reason that spot got chosen. It could be his favorite Italian restaurant in Orange County. Okay. Which, which we, okay. So so anyway, so then they go on about why they are so successful. We're going to skip over that because we don't really care about that. Too late for us. Um, <laughs> but then they get into a discussion about sleep. And it just reminded me so much. You know, Ariana used to be on our Satellite Sisters radio show from time to time. And whenever uh, she was on the show, instead of phoning in the way many people did, she came to our studio in, uh, in Burbank. So it would always be fun. You know, Ariana Huffington, she has a big, big personality. And she would blow in, and we would have a lot of fun talking to Ariana. And yeah, this is when she had first started the Huffington, Huffington Post. Post, right? And everything was very bloggy, and you know, <laughs> she was like, she really created the, that adjective. I think, oh, you must blog about that. That's so bloggy, right? It she used to say that to us all the time. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Like Sheila would say something crazy, and Ariana would say, "Oh, that's very bloggy." <laughs> So, so in the story, they're noting that uh, what, what, what Ariana calls the sort of macho culture of not sleeping is that if you were successful and powerful, you had to brag about how little sleep you get, that you only need four hours. And that, but then she had this sort of, you know, transformative moment uh, where she collapsed from exhaustion in 2007. And I've heard her talk about this before, and that's her current bestseller, the book Thrive, uh, was sort of prompted by that moment, too. She's completely changed her life since that happened to her. But I remember so much when it happened to her because she came into our studio the day after that happened. She walked in. She was wearing big, dark sunglasses. She sat down, like in the studio. It would be me, Sheila, Leon and a fourth chair for guests uh, in front of a mic. She sat down in front of her mic, took off her sunglasses, and her entire side of her face was black and blue. Ooh. I mean, we gasped. It looked like she had been in some terrible accident or something. And so we asked what happened. This is before we were on the air. And she said that she had just collapsed the day before and literally from a standing position just fell to the floor like a dead drop to the floor. So all the black and blue was from just falling. And Sheila did not believe that, right? (laughs) Sheila thought... She has had a facelift. It's just, it's leftover from cosmetic surgery. I remember Sheila telling me this. So, um, so anyway, so in the story, they both talk about how their attitude towards sleep has changed a lot. Uh, as they've gotten older. And we were just talking about this the last couple of weeks on Satellite Sisters. So I noted that Ariana says now that at the end of the day, her transition is a hot bath and absolutely no devices. All phones and computers are escorted out of my bedroom at least an hour before bed. So... I'm not sure what that means. That's whether someone comes in and is yeah, but, well, who's escorting them <laughs> out? Them from her. Like, oh, brother! Oh, brother! Yeah. So she's okay. so a hot bath, no devices, and Kobe chimes in and he says he does the same thing. He has a hot shower, and then after the shower, the the phone is off, and mm-hmm. it's just like he he completely shuts down. So you know. I'm, I've, you know, I've been working on the device thing. No devices in my bedroom, uh, no, no, and no TV before I go to sleep. But I've never really been a shower at the end of the day person. Have you uh-huh. guys ever tried that? Oh, yes. It really helps. Yes. Really. I do it on a regular basis, but when I don't feel well or really want to get to sleep, it, it's really, really delightful. Especially if you have clean pajamas. Oh, really. <laughs> Okay. 
Keep that in mind. Mm. Liz, you have this spa-like bathroom. Yeah, I know, I do. Oh, go ahead. De- definitely. Uh, have, it, have a nice shower. That's, it's very relaxing. So I was figure then you're going to bed with wet hair. And put on a little Peter Coyote. Then put a shower. That's what, like, shower cap. Oh, I can't imagine using a shower. My favorite thing about a shower is getting my head wet. Okay, well, okay, I can't help you with this. Anyway, so. really going to have to work on and so going back to Kobe and Ariana. So um, as we've established, we do, you know, we are in Ariana's outer, outer, outer circle. Correct. We feel I, close to her, but she does not necessarily feel close to us, Liz. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I, I would like to point out that Sheila and I have actually been to parties at Ariana's home. <laughs> yes. yes. So yes, I, you have. I yes. know that's hard to believe. It's, yes, it is, Liz. It's hard to believe. Yes. <laughs> outer, outer circle. Outer, outer, outer circle. We seem to have dropped off the party invite list uh, <laughs> since our show went off the air. Um, she apparently does not realize that we're podcasting and we're still very bloggy. Yes. Um, anyway, so we, we do have that kind of uh, history with Ariana, but um, you guys know, but our listeners probably don't know, that I have a teeny tiny little bit of a history with Kobe. Yeah. And in this story, at the very beginning of the story, when they're kind of explaining how they know each other, Kobe says, you know, the reporter from the Times says, I didn't know you two know each other. How did that happen? And Kobe says, I'm known for sending out cold emails. I love learning from people, blah, 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 blah. And um, I have been, as you guys know, the recipient of uh, those cold emails. Mm-hmm. So much so that you didn't, you, they were, you, you didn't think they were real, right? I know. <laughs> That is true. I will confess that I will confess that to this small group. I got a cold email from Kobe Bryant in February of this year. I was traveling in Asia when I got it. It never crossed my mind that it was real, and I just deleted it. And there are so many people named Kobe. I know, but it's so easy to fake an email. Like, yeah, I knew it was someone pretending to be Kobe Bryant. <laughs> I just didn't actually see any reason why it would actually be Kobe Bryant. So, as you know, I deleted it. And then then he called my office to try to find me, and they were confused. And I was like, ignore it. There's no way that could really be Kobe Bryant. Anyway, sooner or later, we did actually connect, and now we are occasionally in contact with each other. And uh, he's a... He's a super thoughtful guy. You know, he's sort of near the end of his NBA career, and he's trying to figure out what to do next. He's got a lot of interesting ideas, and he's a very interesting guy to talk to. So I could totally imagine him reaching out to Ariana and that those two would have, uh, would have quite a little chat. So one of the things he said in the story, my favorite um, anecdote in the story, when they're talking about competitiveness, you know, which obviously both of them are hugely competitive. Um, He said, uh, let me tell you a story. My daughter just went back to school. She's 11. And she said to me, remember when I used to get nervous about math and her hands would get really clammy? And so I asked her how she got over it. And she said, I started thinking that once you take a math test, it's done. I'm going to wake up the next day. It may be a good day, it may be a bad day, but the cycle continues no matter what happens on the math test. So the reporter says, so that means like being great in the clutch, you know, for someone like Kobe, means knowing there's a moment after the clutch. And he says, right, there's an infinite groove. Whether you make the shot or not is inconsequential. Oh. oh. Don't you think that's kind of deep? Yes, yes. I do, Liz. Yeah. I I, I, yeah, I thought it was kind of deep. So, you know, I, I, I will admit to you that, so when I read that the other day, I, um, I actually t- texted him. And oh, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. And just, you know, just because it, it was a very interesting thought. So I said, I, I really, uh, I love the idea of the infinite groove. And he responded, he said, oh, yeah, building my entire company around that belief. So, okay. I, you know, just in case you wanted to, like, the, everybody thinks these guys that, like, shoot baskets for a living have nothing going on. 
Um, I'm just constantly reminded because I've worked with so many different kinds of athletes across many sports over the course of my career that they, um, many of them have some really, like, there's something that makes them great at sports that also applies to like how they approach their day-to-day life. And maybe it's the infinite groove. Maybe, maybe that's the way you put it. So I just thought I would share that a little bit, that he's, uh, he's working on the infinite groove and I feel like Seems like a good goal. <laughs> That's good. And and you are clinging on to the coattails, Liz. That's what I like about it. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. It's, Deep that, down, I, you, it's a great thought. It really is a great thought, Liz. And it, it is imp- it's an impressive thought. You know, and it's interesting, going back to the air rage discussion, I think about that all the time when I'm on an airplane. I say to myself, no matter how bad this is, it will be over tomorrow. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it is that sort of Zen of travel thing as it applies to being an NBA superstar. Mm -hmm. So so we're all really the same. Isn't that the message? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me, Liz. We're all just like Ariana and Kobe. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I take away. Okay, moving on. Are we ready? We're ready. We're ready. So I I want to... uh, talk to you guys about this i epicurious you know it's the food website so this morning i was reading an article and they had frequently mispronounced food words and it was a dictionary with phonetic pronunciations and i thought that we could go through a few of them now i do have some issues with some of the pronunciations but they did correct me on a couple of words that i was mispronouncing but they started out by saying uh giada de laurentis you know she's the food network chef cook uh she has a new restaurant in las vegas and she has phonetic spellings on the menu so where she's serving ravioli, it says ravioli. <laughs> You're kidding. I am not kidding you. Okay, next to the, and I call it rigatoni, she yeah. has rigatone. I'm sorry, I am not going to order rigatone. Well, that's the order. Brian would uh, order it. Go ahead. Do it just uh, like Bobby. Yeah. Rigatone. <laughs> Just remember that's how I'm just going to call it rigatoni. So they had, they went through a list of words and some of them I'm pretty good at, you know, ancho, boudin. And then um, they had, I heard someone pronounce caramel as caramel the other day. Mm -hmm. And that's not correct. (laughs) I know. I would cop to that. I often say that. Really? It's supposed to be caramel. caramel or caramel and i know people say caramel yep yep (laughs) i don't know why i do you guys don't caramel apples that's what they're called caramel apples well it's supposed to be caramel apples caramel apples right well just stick with the caramel we know what you mean uh (laughs) uh charcuterie i never mispronounce that I don't order it that often, but (laughs) (laughs) it's very big. I just usually call it salami. It's easier. (laughs) Or salome. Should I be doing that? (laughs) Now, uh, apparently there's some high-end restaurants uh, around the world where they're serving a certain fungus that I would call lichen. But if you'd like to order this in a restaurant, it's actually lichen. So if you want to eat fungus, <laughs> uh, make sure you order the lichen. Well, I'm just not going to order that. Okay. I think I'm, I'm just going to order the mushrooms. I'm, I'm not going to order fungus, uh, lichen or lichen. Now, sherbet is a word that I often mispronounce. Mm-hmm. I want to say, for some reason, sherbert. Mm-hmm. I want to put an extra R in there, but that is not correct. That's uh, not correct? No, it's sherbet. Oh, oh, okay. I know. I, I always thought it was sherbet, but that was just that's just me. Now, here's a word um, that I normally pronounce as hummus, but in this de- dictionary in the Epicurious words, <laughs> they said you were supposed to call it hummus. Mm. Hummus. <laughs> now, who calls it? Hummus. <laughs> so I did 
a little bit more um, looking into it, and I guess hummus is American English, but hummus is British English. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. go ahead and call it hummus if you want to. If you now, want to be a pretentious British <laughs> accent, I, I don't think you're going to get the dip, though, if you say hummus. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Get some hummus. Um, so here's a word that this kind of bugs me. When people are talking about the little cookies that are called macarons, <laughs> but they're calling them macaroons. Now, those are two different cookies, people. Macaroons, you know, the shredded almond, sometimes dipped in chocolate. Mm, and, yummy, yes. <laughs> which I love macaroons. Uh-huh. Macarons are those little sandwich cookies that come in those little jewel tone colors. Yes. And there's a little cream filling in them. Oh, uh-huh. Now, I always call them macaron, and that's the French pronunciation. But I did not know this. The American... English pronunciation is actually macaroo. Macaroo? Yes. No one says that. No one says that. I've never heard that. I never even knew they had a name. I have to admit. This is all new to me that they have their own name. Liz, what do you call them? What do you think they call? I don't know. I just never called them anything. I've never heard them called anything. (laughs) I knew they weren't macaroons. Right. Well, I, well, the thing is, I hear them called macaroons all the time, and it bugs me. But I did not know that, according to Epicurious, macaroon in English. Okay? And one last word from Monica. I know it's pho. I know I'm supposed to say pho, but I, have, I just always call it pho. That's the noodle soup mm-hmm. with the broth, and mm-hmm. I just have a hard time saying pho. I'm totally with you there. <laughs> I just, there are a lot of Vietnamese restaurants around in Portland, and, you know, it's it's a delicious frugal traveler kind of food to have. It's wonderful. P-H-O, but... I'm just going to call it pho no matter what. Okay, Sorry. I'll call it pho too, Liz. Because I always, like, pause and say, well, I went out and had some pho. <laughs> It doesn't sound like much if you're just eating pho. No. No. And I know that's the correct way to pronounce it, but I I cannot do that. So (laughs) I'm not saying pho, and I'm not ordering lakum. (laughs) (laughs) Any other words, you guys, food words that you? Mm -mm. Let me think. No. Mufalata was on there, Julie, but of course we know how to say that. Yes. Uh, Yes. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, I have a um, a much more mass market, lowbrow food issue that I wanted to bring to your attention. Uh, this is based on a tweet I received from Pepperidge Farm this week, and I'm sure everyone who follows Pepperidge Farm uh, <laughs> who follows Pepperidge Farm? Who, who is tweeting the goldfish? It's just like yeah. who's sending yeah. out these tweets? So you just get. You, you just get product news from Pepperidge Farm. Like, like updates from the Southport collection? Like? Yes, exactly. Like, here's one, Julie, from a couple weeks ago. It said, uh, today's hump day treat is a soft-baked Santa Cruz oatmeal raisin cookie. Uh, so I just like hearing about that. Um, I think I think it was Leanne that got me tied into this because you know how she loves the Pepperidge Farm and she especially loves the goldfish. And so the the... Pepper's from Twitter feed always has breaking goldfish news. And uh, so that's what we're talking about right now because I think they've gone too far now. The, you know, I enjoy the fact that the brand extensions of goldfish up to this point, I think, have been a successful effort. Mm -hmm. And so they've gone beyond just the basic goldfish into other flavors, other colors, other sizes. I'm okay with that. But... Uh, two days ago, I got this question from Pepperidge Farm. What's your favorite fall flavor of goldfish? Is it caramel apple pie? Oh. Or is it pumpkin cheesecake? So, oh. I'm sorry. That doesn't seem right. Those are actual flavors of goldfish now? Liz, I, can't think I, I appreciate that you said the word caramel. Caramel, yes. I would have said caramel. If we had done this segment before your segment, I would have said caramel apple pie. Uh, but no matter how I pronounce it, it's still a bad idea 
I don't know. Does that sound appealing to you at all? Caramel apple pie? No, goldfish? I don't know. They goldfish it. savory. Savory, exactly. Savory treats. Yes. It's savory, it's like, yes. It's savory, like cap- salty. It's like the cappuccino potato chips or yes. you know, whatever all those flavors, the salted caramel potato chips. It's right. wrong. It's a savory snack, people. <laughs> But Liz, they must have, I mean, you know how these brands are developed. I mean, they must have test marketed these flavors. Get to (laughs) six-year-olds. Because it's more like a cookie now. It's like a macaron or a macaroon. That's what it tastes like now. Macaron. Yeah, I don't know. I think there are these seasonal things they try out now, Julie. And, you know, just like... The pumpkin latte has taken over the world, which right. somebody I was listening to on the radio the other day just kept saying, pumpkin latte is not coffee. Pumpkin latte is not coffee. Can I just remind you before we go, pumpkin latte is not coffee. That's the way I feel about pumpkin cheesecake. It's not a goldfish. I, it's just, it might be the kind of snack you want. I just worry that by calling it a goldfish, oh. So now, okay, now I feel like I've <laughs> taken a position on this and I need to open up. Oh, wait a minute. They're calling them something else. Okay. They're in goldfish packages with goldfish on the package, but they are not using the word goldfish at all. They're calling them. I can't even read this on my well, little. This is breaking pepper. <laughs> breaking pepper oh, farm I, news. I have, I have <laughs> holding my breath here. I know. Oh. <laughs> what is it, Liz? Please. <laughs> this could be. This could be totally my error here. They're in a goldfish-like package, but maybe these are just cookies. Maybe. <laughs> in which case, I approve. I think I think you're going to have to apologize to them. Okay, Pepperidge Farm. <laughs> well, I'm in charge of editing the show, so I can just take this whole segment out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you should. I think it, it stands for what it is, Liz, the confusion in the marketplace. Yes, okay, too many it, brands, too many too brand many, extensions. Too it many. Was, yeah, I think I just got misled by the packaging. Okay. I knew Pepperidge Farm would never do that to the goldfish. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Phew. All right, we're over there. Right. And now they really won't. The, the crisis has passed. <laughs> Shoot. Well, that the goldfish is safe. Because um, we do need to wrap up now, Liz. So we I just yeah. a yeah. final note about how great was Derek Jeter's last at you know last uh, game at Yankee Stadium. Did oh, you watch no. it, Monica? Did you watch I, it? Yes. It yeah. was uh, you know as people as anyone who cares about baseball knows by now, um, he had a hit in the bottom of the ninth to win the game. It was just incredibly awesome. Um, he just has had this amazing career. It, it was also, it was super emotional. He was getting very emotional, which doesn't happen very often with mm-hmm. Derek Jeter. But I just, th- I think for me, part of the reason I was getting emotional watching it is not just because Derek Jeter is, you know, has been such a great player and such a great Yankee, but it really made me think a lot about mom and dad and about sitting around a lot and watching Yankee games with mom and dad or going to Yankee Stadium with dad and And so it kind of brought me back to kind of, you know, what it means to be a Yankee family and the tradition of the New York Yankees. So I think that's why I found it very emotionally compelling. And I was thinking about how mom, she had certain players that she really, really loved. Like, like whenever Dave Winfield ran out onto the field, Mm -hmm. mom would say, now that's what a Yankee looks like. (laughs) She loved the way he ran. She did. She just loved Dave Winfield. And and she loved Paul O'Neill because Mm -hmm. he was the brother of Molly O'Neill, the food critic at the New York Times. So Mm -hmm. that's, she loved the fact that Paul O'Neill was a Yankee. Uh, And, you know, as a Family. I'm sure we can all name where we were when we heard that Thurman Munson died, right? And uh, but I think about the Yankee games that that Dad would take us to, you know. And we had a big family, so you know, you didn't. You know, it was sort of random who got to go, who was around, and and all of that. So I was thinking about uh, some of the years of going to those games 
uh, with dad. And so I did a little search on like, wait a minute, when did, because I, I feel like I went to a lot of games with dad to see Derek Jeter. And then I realized, well, he didn't start until he was 1990, 1992 was his rookie year. So that made me feel incredibly old because in my mind I was thinking, oh yeah, in the seventies and eighties when he would go all the time. So no, Derek Jeter is not, you know, 57 years old the way I am. He's actually, he was a rookie in 1992. Huh. Anyway, so I think that it was a beautiful moment for, uh, for Derek Jeter, for the Yankees. You saw his family there. It was, it, I think he got the emotional, you know, send off that he deserved. And one piece of marketing advice I would add in to parents who uh, would like your um, your child to be a superstar athlete. We've talked before how giving them snappy names like uh, Tiger is a good idea. Um, <laughs> but also a highly chantable name is a good idea. Yes, yes. yes. And that's what you heard on Thursday night, the Derek Jeter, Derek. If you have too many syllables, you can't do that. Like <laughs> two-syllable first name, two-syllable last name. Highly t- chantable. So I just want to put out that advice to anyone. Um, two <laughs> syllables, two syllables. Think about it. So did you guys have any particular Yankee moments as you were thinking about it? I was actually thinking about the pitcher who was pitching uh, pitching to him in that moment, thinking like, whoa, uh, you know, this is a very historic game. Here I am pitching to Derek Jeter, bottom, you know, in bottom of the ninth. And, you know, what it must have been like for him and for all, you know, I just, all the players, he had, he just had, you know, so much respect uh, from yeah, everyone sure. around and he gave us all great memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know he's, he's in Boston this weekend, the final games were with the Red Sox. We have many Red Sox fans who are satellite sisters and listening. And he announced in advance that he was not going to play shortstop this weekend in Fenway Park because he wanted his last game at that position to be in Yankee Stadium. So, um, I'm sure you can understand that people in Boston may be disappointed because I know a lot of people did, even though, you know, Bostonians hate the Yankees. Uh, they do seem to love Derek Jeter. So if you're there to say goodbye to Derek Jeter this weekend, um, have fun with that. Uh, okay, last thing, and then we got to go. I know, birthday present for Sheila. So uh, I'm just, I don't have a lot of time to shop. You know what's available in my neighborhood. Um, I was looking at, like, bath products the other day, yesterday, and I thought she probably has a million of those. So any last-minute suggestions? Okay. Gift card in a fancy, fancy bag. You know, she loves wrapping and yeah. ribbons, and that's whatever you do. Just dress it up, Liz. You got to okay. sell it. Okay. You know, that's, sell that's, it. Okay. All right, Monica. I think you should bring her a turkey sandwich for marmalades. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know she probably has nothing in her refrigerator for dinner tonight. Oh. You no, know, okay. she loves she loves the she loves marmalades. Yeah. Okay. All right, that's a good idea. So we have lunch together, and then I send her home with dinner. Good. Uh, all right, thanks. Okay, wow, it's more than an hour we've been doing this today. So, um, wow, apparently we had a lot to say. So, uh, you guys, you got a good week planned, Julie? You and Leon on for Tuesday? We are. We're going to be back. It is sort of the mini finale of Outlander um, is this week. So we're going to be talking about that. And, of course, a lot of other uh, news, notes, and trends. Yes. <laughs> news, notes, and trends. Okay, sisters, have a good week. Uh, enjoy yourselves. Take care of yourselves. Uh, and, everybody, don't forget, call your satellite sister. The world you make You lose yourself but you you find your way, I'm going to watch you radiate, 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 radiate. We turn so slow, I know it's hard to wait. But take your time, son, this yours to take. I'm going to watch you radiate, radiate. As you walk, you believe every part of the dream.